Well done. Congratulations. You made it onto the 2020 cool list. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. <laughs> Why are you both laughing? Come on. Uh, yeah. Tell me. I don't want to be a member of real life. <laughs> was it like was it was it Grey Chain Mark said that I don't want to be a, I don't want to be part of a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> you know what made me laugh when you said um, how chuffed you were, and you said that for a start should kick you off the list. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anybody who says chuff shouldn't be part of any cool list anywhere in the world. Yeah, I definitely don't deserve to be on it. There's people who deserve way more than me. But it was really nice to to familiarise myself with some people in Bristol that are doing some incredible stuff that I didn't even know about. And so, uh, you know, went down a bit of a kind of altruistic wormhole, which was quite nice, and seeing uh, the great and good in Bristol doing some some incredible things. So uh, the future is bright, it seems. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, Joe. It, it is a pretty wicked list of people. Paul, what about you? What have you got to say? You chuffed to be on the cool list? I'm used to it now, mate. I was on it last year. It's, it's all <laughs> new to Joe, look. So he's super excited about it. But yeah, I was on it last year. So it's old news for me. You know what I mean? I've been uh, cool now for over a year. I'm I'm cool by osmosis. It's because I spent more time with him over the last year. And that's why I've managed to get, get on there. His coolness is rubbing off on me, clearly. It really is. It really is. Paul, you are, you were made it to like, what was it, number five? Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, number five. People that are above me were like scientists and stuff, I think. <laughs> there was a doctor that was inventing a cure for COVID. You're like, well, I mean, you can't you can't help but be beat by somebody like that. Blimey, that knocks, ev- that knocks everybody into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Yeah, no, you're right. It, it is a pretty goddamn cool list of people. But you guys, regardless of whatever you laugh and joke about, you are pretty damn cool yourself. You know, actors and, and screenwriters. And how do you guys know each other, by the way? Because when I'm asking you if you, you could make it, you said you'd already been doing a dalliance with each other the day before. What's What have you been doing with each other? <laughs> um, that's for off air, isn't it, Joe? Have to make yeah, it I think now. so. Um, I mean, like, I think it's important that your listeners know that it's purely sexual. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, yeah. OK, so I'm not going to get an answer on that then. No, no you can have an answer on it. You go for it, Joe. Tell her. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Um, anybody like anybody close to Bristol or grew up in Bristol knows of the uh, the urban legend, uh, which is the man uh, that, that worked in the zoo car park and played the zoo and the council off against one another and made billions of pounds and retired uh, in some Barbadian kind of community. And we just thought it's, it's synonymous. That story is synonymous with Bristol. And it's just one of those wicked tales that like, you know, merit got to get taken onto uh, the silver screen. So, so me, Paul uh, and Amy Travaskas have, have found a way to make that work in, in a really kind of exciting, I don't know, we call it, we call it um, Only Fools and Horses meets Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've, we've, we've just written the first episode and they've got like a whole treatment for a six episode series that we're really, really excited about. That sounds amazing. That's awesome. Uh, do you think it'll work outside of Bristol? Do you think everyone else will get it as well? Oh, yeah, the story's got such a massive heart. I mean, you know, like, you know, the study of the human condition, like, you know, is a global thing, isn't it? Like, you know, just because, you know, the, the, the idea uh, is set in Bristol doesn't mean that, like, the heart and soul, the beating heart of the uh, of the story is something that transcends Bristol and is, uh, like, you know, is something that will be keenly felt anywhere, I think. It's just a really, really lovely story because, you know, he's this kind of luckless loser that happens to find himself in the right place at the right time and beautiful, brilliant and mad things happen. So uh, I really hope we get to make it because the idea of like, you know, working 
people always pay lip service to be like to go and yeah they're gone like you want to try and uh, empower Bristolians to be able to like you know make their own work and stuff but there's some such incredible talent in front of the screen and behind the screen that we really need to kind of like you know sort of to galvanize to be able to get work in and so all we need is a production company that has that faith in us you give us the tools and we'll finish the job I couldn't agree more, mate. And it's pretty damn cool to hear somebody from Bristol who's reached a certain height of success, which you have, and actually follow through with something like that. You know, we do have some pretty powerful names in Bristol, but I have to say, I sometimes feel a little bit let down that they don't really get back involved in the community and really nurture and and encourage that talent. And, And what you and Paul both do is amazing. Paul, your work in particular, you know, supporting kids in Hartcliffe and stuff like that has been incredible your film shiny why is it so important to you to support kind of like Hartcliffe and your local community I mean Hartcliffe is just obviously where I where I was brought up but just working class kids in general for me it's just that thing of when I was young and super passionate about films and tv but not really understanding what the what the inn was, not really understanding where the ladder started probably feeling like it was an industry that wasn't for me I just want to kind of break that break that idea in these kids and kind of demystify the industry there's loads and loads of good work being done by the industry to try and encourage working class kids into it but I think the biggest issue we've got is trying to break the stigma that the industry isn't for those type of people so just the trying to make every film that I make visible to these kids and not just the kids it's, it's the parents it's, it's the companies it's the teachers it's, it's, the, it's the uncles the cousins it's just the kind of community as a whole to say you know there is a career here it is interesting it is fun and if you've got a passion for film recognize that there is a way in and don't feel like you can't have a go just because of where you were where you were born there is opportunities now but they're they're not visible to the right people so they're, they're saying all the right things on paper yeah. but there's still like a you know, a five-page application form for it and all the talks about it at the watershed or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's, it's visibility of access, I think, is the key thing. But not, not only that, it's just I write what I know and I, and I make films in places and story worlds that I feel familiar with. So it all just kind of plays into each other. And, you know, that's the thing with, with this Traffic Warden thing. Like, it's, it's, it's a very Bristol-centric comedy, character-driven Bristol-centric comedy, where the three writers know the world in which we're writing in. And we want to kind of celebrate that. And, and, and the thing travels, Miranda, because... That story of the car park attendant, that travels worldwide. You only got to Google it. And like the first like 10 pages are just people talking about it and debating about it, whether it's true, whether it's not. And the slight intricacies and the changing of the myth or the story, you know? Anybody that like yeah, that you tell about it, everyone's like, no, I know what happened to him. I, I, yeah, no, I know what happened to him. Yeah, he's living in Barbados. Already got done in by uh, like Els Angels or something like that. And, like, and it's, it's brilliant because that even though, like you know, it's this urban myth that burns so bright in this city and beyond. I just think that like, you know, when we when we get start scratching at the surface, when we start arriving, in it it was just like it was just full with opportunity and possibility and stuff and you know we just allowed our imaginations to run riot and going back to what Paul said as well which I think is so lovely is like sounds like we all had very kind of similar growing up talents everywhere and opportunity isn't so it's nice to be able to get into those communities where we grew up and just be able to kind of you know just to shine a torch on like pathway I suppose an accessible pathway to to find your way in it is going to be harder, but it is possible. And why I take my off to Paul is that he's got the courage of his convictions and, and he will have, and we will have, should we ever get this off the ground and get it made? Because, you know, we're keen to to shine a light on Indigenous talent and to be able to give them the opportunities because without those opportunities, then none of us will be where we are. 
No, you're right. And it is so important to have people like you and Paul sort of shining the light and letting, you know, our younger generation know it is possible. Joe, how did you get your break? I suppose it depends what you consider to be the break because really the first break didn't come from me like proper proper break was when I did Broadchurch and I was what 32 then I was working full time like you know in call centres and like you know working in pubs and factories and doing whatever I can do you know doing plays like you know still consider myself a professional actor but I still had to pay the mortgage well not the mortgage I had to pay the rent so I was on a hustle when I finished university I worked as a runner in Soho for a company that made commercials and what I did was I learned to edit. So I was going into auditions for commercials with the director and whatever and filming those for that production company. I was editing together those reels, the audition tapes for, I don't know, 50 or 60 actors and sending them to people. And I kept speaking to the directors. I was like, I'm an actor. Put me in one of your uh, adverts. Please put me in one of your adverts. And eventually one of them like acquiesced and then went, yeah, okay, I'll put you in. Put me in this advert. And then I cut together with the rushes, uh, like a little show reel that made it look like I was like on an episode of The Bill or something like that. And I took a DVD as it was then to every single agent in Soho because I was wandering so getting teas and coffees for people, buying them lunches and all that. So I thought, yeah, I'll just go and drop it off. It didn't cost me anything because I did it all on the company dollar, stayed late, worked hard, you know, working about a 15 hour a day. And then eventually I got I got an agent and then I went in for my first audition, which was a two line part in Casualty playing a Bristolian mechanic and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh man, I'm barking out the wrong tree. If I can't get a two-line part in casualty <laughs> playing a Bristolian mechanic, then uh, I need to think about what I want to do for the rest of my life. But fortunately, they kept getting me back and back on casualty. And I went in eventually and got the guest lead. And then things, I suppose, started from there. Um, I was in a play that did really well. It was an incredibly well-written play where I played a Texan killer. And then I was able to win a couple of awards and stuff. And I, I think it's just being... Like, you know, just being front footed and just keep like, you know, writing to people. I I keep saying that to people like I've never been the most gifted person in the room, but you could be damn sure I'm one of the most hard working. That's important. You guys got to keep coming forward because doors are going to slam in your face. They're going to slam in over and over again. But I can't think of anything else I'd rather do with my day than to be in like rooms with creative, like-minded people like Paul and do work like that. Like, you know, I like, and tell stories. I mean, I just find like, people always laugh at me. My mates just go, whenever you turn up on like a chat show or anything like that, you sound like a competition winner, but I genuinely (laughs) feel like that. That's how I feel. I feel like, you know, what luck that this is how I'm able to pay the mortgage, you know, that I'm getting to do this every day for a living. And I want that for as many people as I can possibly, I can possibly help. So if it weren't for the fact that people helped me along the way, then I wouldn't be where I was. And so I think that like, you know, each one teach one. You can't just like take the last rung on a ladder up because you're on it. That's just selfish and horrible. You know, you've got to be inclusive. You've got to be nurturing. So I'm hoping that I'm able to give a bit back as I get a bit older. Do you know what? As soon as you kind of put it into those words, because I've never spoken to you in person before, and you do. That's, you do sound like a competition winner. You sound so yeah. excited and happy. And that's yeah. wicked. That's awesome. But I would love to see some of these big names doing what Paul's talking about. Paul, you hit on something there about it's so hard for people to get involved because of things like application forms, applying for grants. What do you think the industry needs to do to make it a little bit easier for the average person to break into it? That's a deep question. I don't want to put all the emphasis on the industry. I think, like you were saying just now, a little bit of the emphasis has to be on the people that have broken through. Like Joe was just saying, just going back and just kind of 
trying to demystify it, help people, like Joe said, it help people up the ladder along the way. It's not just showing them access, it's convincing them that they can and that they can have a good go at it. And that isn't just the kids. Most kids are pretty rebellious by nature. Like, they, they haven't been burnt yet by the class system or whatever. So they don't necessarily, when I was a kid, I didn't really know I was different. I just kind of, or I was from a different place to people. It just kind of grew over my teenage years into this kind of thing of, oh, that's for the posh kids, or oh, that's for the rich kids, or that's for the super intelligent kids. Like, I'm not that intelligent, really. Like, do you know what I mean? So sometimes I was finding myself in rooms and everyone was using big words and I didn't know what they were talking about. And I just thought, oh, I haven't really got a vocabulary for this to kind of hold my own in these rooms. And it wasn't until I was about probably 29, touching 30, that I just thought, you know, sod this. What do I love? What do I want to do for the rest of my life? And that's work in film. So I kind of just... The resourcefulness of being a working class kid on a council estate kind of kicked in and just this kind of almost arrogance, I suppose, to go, you know, F you, I'm going to do it anyway. And I've been doing it ever since. But it's difficult for me to to say to kids, like I get asked a lot of the time to go into schools and talk about what I do and what I want to do and how I got into it and all this kind of stuff. And it's really difficult because I've not really made it yet. So for me to go in and go, yeah, you know what, you could also be like me and wait until you're 30 to have a go and then be skint for the next 10 years and still not get in through those locked doors. That's really difficult. I think for me, it's just a case of demystifying what it is, the process of making a film. It's not as yeah. glamorous as you think. Like if you're into films as a kid on a cancer state, I think the only visible in you've got is Steven Spielberg or Tom Cruise. It's like, oh, I can either be an actor or I can be a director. And they don't necessarily see that actually there's, it's no different than a building site making a film. There, there are jobs for sparkies, carpenters. There, there are jobs for makeup, hair, costume, lighting. There's, there's so much to do on a film set. So if you've got a passion for film, I just don't want kids to bury it like I did yeah, for yeah. so long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I buried yeah. it for like 10 years, just thinking, I love it, but it just must mean I like watching them. Deep down, it's not. I want to make them. I want to be involved in the process. I want to be involved in the industry. I, I absolutely love making films and working with actors like Joe and stuff. So the industry can do more. Don't get me wrong. They, they can do things like don't just hold their talks and stuff at posh waterfront places. Like get into schools, get into youth clubs get into social club because it's convincing the adults it's convincing the adults on these estates as much as it is convincing the kids i think and just you know breaking that stigma by the way i just wanted to say i suddenly felt like i couldn't find my words i'm not educated i left school before 16 you know and i struggle with finding the right vocabulary yeah, which yeah. Is probably but why you know I'm what not... Randa, that's yeah. that's okay because that's part of your character and your personality like if you try being anything else you yeah. end up being fake and people spot it a mile off. Just be yourself, as raw as that may be. And I, I've just found that to be a lot more, that's got me a lot further in rooms than it has when I was trying to fit in. Fair play. What about you, Joe? Yeah, you seem to be really well. I don't know what the right word is. Um, he knows lots of big words. That's it. He does, though, doesn't he? You are. Is that from going to uni? Is that from working on your, your, at home? How did you get to that no, point? I don't think that. I, I, I love words. I've always had a dictionary. When I, I, I had a teacher at it, I was like, what you want to do is have a dictionary and a highlighter pen. And when you looked at that word, just highlight it. And then if you have to look it up again and you're like already highlighted it, you're like, ah, oh, you already know that one. You should have known that one. That should 
should be clicking in your head a little bit more. I'm a massive fan of self-improvement. When you walk into a room and you hear that accent, that Bristolian accent, I think one of the best things that can be done, if you go in and people have preconceptions of the kind of person you're going to be and, and, you're, and you're able to kind of dazzle them as a result, I suppose, then that puts you in a really, really good position, an advantageous position. And I think that happens often. I think that like, you know, the nature of the, the preconceived notions people have got of the West country and people with a West country accent work in our favor, you know? So why wouldn't we go out of our way to kind of like, you know, subvert those feelings uh, and have them go away just thinking, oh, blimey, actually, yeah, this person's like, you know, this person kind of surprised me and this person, you know, and, and I think that that can happen not just because of your range of vocabulary, but in deeds and actions, you know, the idea that like, you know, that from these humble beginnings, like, you know, Paul's able to go over and kind of galvanize an entire community of people where he's got people, you know, making sandwiches or whatever, like, you know, for like, you know, so, so catering these shows, bringing young people on, like, you know, developing people in the camera department, in the sound department and shining a light on that. I think that's extraordinary. Conversely, I feel sorry for people that come from quite affluent uh, beginnings because I feel there's a level of expectancy for those people. You know, if you if you grew up in Clifton in a five, like, you know, five bedroom townhouse with a silver spoon in your mouth, then the very least people expect of you is to make a massive success of yourself. So really, I think that that's a horrible situation to have to come from, to come from like, you know, from humble beginnings or whatever. And it means those achievements just taste a little bit sweeter. And people, I think, broadly are a bit more appreciative for the things that you've done. So I feel that we're luckier in that respect. I just want to touch on something you said about the Bristolian accent. Now, I've been working in radio since I was just 18. I have had to work really hard to stop my Bristolian accent. You know, I am lucky. I've had a wicked career. I, was, I had my own show on Radio 5 for ages. But if I had let my Bristolian twang develop more than it has, I would never have got those opportunities. What would you say to that? Well, I'm thinking like, again, we're trying to like, we're trying to subvert those stereotypes. So if Paul and I are able to like, you know, to kind of any, like elevate that, the platform of a Bristolian accent and see that as a positive rather than a yeah. negative, then it means that people can embrace it. And people that come from the estates that we all come from can turn around and just go, I don't have to lose that. Who are yeah. we pandering to? Who are yeah. we pandering to? It's not about the way that you deliver it. It's what you're saying. It's the content of what you're saying. So listen to my words and not the word, not my delivery. And then you can judge me on that. Judge me on what I'm saying, not the way I sound. I wish yeah. I wish that that would have been true during my career, but it is changing. You are right. We see regional accents from all around the country, yet people still aren't embracing the Bristolian accent. Paul, what about you? What are your thoughts on that? I've always been a little bit wary of it. It's going back to what I was talking about, kind of like a lack of vocabulary and stuff in a room. It's the same with your accent. I wouldn't say I'd try hiding it. I would just try... No, that's not. That's a lie. I would try hiding it. I would hide... I don't know, you're the little, the slang audience, the, the little bits of, the little bits of the Brazilian accent that I think make me sound dumb. Do you know what I mean? Like the, your R's or, like, I'm not going to change my accent, but I would change my, what's the word? Is it the, the kind of your use of words or slang words and, and all that kind of thing? So like that, for example, I just said, and all that kind of thing. I would hide that and I would just go, I don't know, I, I would try speaking a bit more eloquently, but with the accent rather than just talking how I would normally talk in a room full of mates. But I think that's the same thing with the kids. Like, it's not just that they feel the industry might not be for them because it's full of posh kids or full of, or you need money. And, and that's never going to change. If you're going to get ahead in this industry, you probably do need money and you need a bit of support along the way. Whether that comes from your parents or it comes from scholarships or it comes from BFI or whatever it may be, it is difficult to get ahead in this industry if you don't have a decent fallback and a decent support network because it's difficult. But yeah, no, the accent, I love the accent. I'm proud of it. I don't want to lose it. 
but it took me a while to um, go into those rooms confident enough to, to fully embrace it. I didn't know Joe before he was on Broadchurch. And when I first saw Broadchurch, I swear on my life, I was at my missus and I was just like, oh, look at this. Another person trying to like do a Bristolian accent on telly. It's ridiculous. It's so far-fetched. It's such a stereotype. Such a stereotype of the, of the, of the accent. He sounds like a bloody farmer. La, la, la. And then I met him. I was like, oh. The thing that threw me was not that the accent was weird. It was that the accent was weird being on TV. Because it's yeah. always just like, usually used in, in comedic roles. It's like, oh, wow. That is weird that my reaction was that. There's an issue there. Why was my reaction that? Shouldn't have been. Should have just... I, I never feel that way if I hear like... Liverpoolian accent or Newcastle no, accent or Scottish no. accent or whatever. But that one, I was shocked to see it on a serious programme. So I think just, yeah, shining a light on Joe when he's in these big shoes and the fact that, you know, producers or directors are happy for him to go in with that normal accent is a, is a good thing. With the traffic warden thing that we're doing, yeah. and when we're pitching it to production companies, we don't want it to be stolen off, go up to be made, you know, in London with London actors and London cast and crew. Like, let's just keep it here. Let's make it here. Let's use the resources we've got here. And let's put a load of Bristolian faces and Bristolian voices on primetime TV. Far too often we get that when what happens is is like they go, oh yeah, we like yeah, they, they tick boxes and they go, oh, we're filming in the West Country. They don't use indigenous resources. They don't use no. uh, a West Country crew. They don't use West Country mm. actors. So everyone's getting bust up. So I mean, it's good news for the hotels and stuff. You might get a catering company that's lucky enough to get a job. But why aren't they? Like, you know, what is it? What is that natural aversion to using indigenous talent here in the West Country? And it's about people using their mates. It's all about who, you know, being in the right place at the right time. We've got Channel 4 Creative Hub coming to Bristol. Now, the problem is they're bringing most of their staff with them. So they're now employing people that they know rather than actually getting into into the real grassroots of the city and they're moving people down. Now, that's my issue with that. Just on that note about finding production company, do you guys know about Wild Seed Studios? They're doing something really exciting at the moment in the bottle yard. And um, Jesse's a wonderful fella because uh, he cut his teeth at a royal court in London and they were making some really brave stuff there. Like, you know, I love theatre studio spaces. I love it at Bristol Vic. love it at the Royal Court but the Royal Court like back in the 90s when Jesse was there was making some really great stuff like you know and what you want are for those kind of new voices because their new voices have got this kind of primal scream they've got an urgency to them that they're just demanding to be heard those voices should be screaming into the wilderness they should be given a platform in which they're able to speak and because he did that and he did that so successfully at the Royal Court I'm excited about his production company and uh, I'm excited about the stuff that he's doing here in Bristol you know I don't know too much about him but we've just started having a bit of a chat and yeah i'm hoping that that could be the start of a mutually beneficial relationship thank you so much you guys are both very very cool no matter what you say you deserve to be on the list (laughs) are you mate thanks very much for having us on thank you so much joe and paul for your time today thanks guys Cheers, 